Saturday, December 2nd, 2017. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. This is the third of three podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably. Continue to write great things about me in the comments. If you do that, we'll be best friends forever. And either way, uh, let's get into it. Big Ten play open Friday night, of opening night of December, opening night of Big Ten Conference basketball games. And among the results, Norlander, Purdue uh, beat Maryland. So the Boilermakers are now 7-2, uh, and two, which suggests they've uh, figured out whatever it is that was uh, plaguing them while they were uh, battling for Atlantis last week because down there they lost to Tennessee, lost to Western Kentucky. Now, that wasn't good, but those two losses came... Uh, by only a total of seven points. And since then, they've beaten Arizona, beaten Louisville, and beaten Maryland. So Purdue, if people were freaking out about them, at least temporarily last week, seems okay right now. They look like what they're about, they look about like well, the way they're supposed to look, right? Yeah, this is, uh, with this win, now that we have uh, a road win on the docket, now we'll see. I, I expect uh, the Northwestern Purdue game, which is a Purdue home game, to have been completed by the time we do our next podcast, uh, which will be in less than 48 hours from now. But my point is, they get the Arizona win in the neutral. They get a nice home win over Louisville, a Louisville team that I still think will be in the NCAA tournament with a little bit of ease. And now a road win against a Maryland team that I expect to be a top five team in the Big Ten. So at 7-2, and two, riding the ship, I'll also note they've got a road win against Marquette, don't think Marquette's a tournament team, but still, that'll be a nice road win on the resume, ultimately. So, with Purdue, I, I think kind of big picture here, I had them as the second best team in the Big Ten heading into the season. They've got a really strong chance at doing that. The curiosity with them is, can they get to that elite level of three-point shooting that they've got the talent to do? They're not quite there yet. But I think that they can get there. That obviously relies a lot on what uh, the Edwards boys, Vincent and Carson, and Dakota Mathias, who is their best three-point shooter, uh, what they can all do. Um, once they hit that next level from deep, then I think you've got a real shot for Purdue, even as as an elite elite eight sleeper type. But it's just so funny, GP. Like I knew this was the case, but you know, you say Big Ten started conference play on Friday night. I mean, we just got. We just got to December. We actually have, as a quick side note, we have our conference prediction champions up at .com right now or on your mobile app. So we normally run that in the preseason. But, yeah, we decided to run it literally the day of, uh, of conference season starting. So all 32 leagues, we've got our predictions for, uh, for each team winning it. I'm a believer in Purdue overall. I, I do think that Minnesota is solid. Um, we talked on the previous podcast about the Big Ten's issues overall. But I, I think Purdue is a uh, – is a top 25 team and should stay in the rankings for the majority of the season. Beating Northwestern would be big and it would also be uh, very damaging to Northwestern. I think this is where I struggle with the top 25 and one, because I do think Purdue's one of the 25 best teams or 26 best teams in America. Um, but I can't get over those neutral court losses to Tennessee and Western Kentucky right now, as it relates to the resume. So I got Purdue slightly outside of the top 25 and one, but um, I don't really think much differently about them today. 
than I thought about them, say, a week ago. Again, sometimes in a 40-minute basketball game, weird results happen. They lose to Tennessee in overtime, neutral court, then lose to Western Kentucky by uh, four points, neutral court. But since then, uh, the blowout win of Arizona, um, a, a nice and convincing win over Louisville, where I think they had to come back in the second half. Like, they were down um, at home to Louisville for much of that game, if not most of that game, but they came back and closed strong. And then you go to Maryland, and Maryland's not great. Like, I saw them at the Emerald Coast Classic. I don't know exactly what's going on with them um, because they've got some interesting pieces. Among them, uh, this freshman who seems to be way underrated coming out of high school, Bruno Fernando. He's like a top 70 kid, but, like, he looks the part. I mean, everybody watches Maryland and talks about Justin Jackson being in the NBA. Like, I don't know about that. Uh, but I could certainly see this Bruno Fernando kid being in the NBA, like big, strong body, plays hard, um, uh, like uh, almost to a fault, like plays hard until he's exhausted and then doesn't take himself out of game. So you get about two possessions of him where he's just clearly like he just needs to go sit down for a minute. Um, so they've got some interesting pieces there at Maryland, but but so far just, just not very good. Uh, you know, go lose to St. Bonaventure on a neutral court. And that game, they controlled it. Uh, down at the Emerald Coast Classic for much of the game, and then it just, like, you look up and St. Bonaventure won. That was a 63-61 thing. Then they lose to to Syracuse, and that Syracuse team might be better than than we thought, but it's still a Syracuse team that was picked 10th in the preseason ACC poll, and then, of course, lose uh, on Friday night at home uh, to Purdue. So I guess as I'm talking about it, Maryland's got three losses by a total of nine points. So not the worst thing in the world, but they have yet to to get what I would perceive to be a, an impressive victor, victory. They beat Butler, but I don't know how good Butler is. And so uh, Mark Turgeon's got some things to, to figure out there, but uh, he's been doing this for a long time. He'll probably figure it out. As you were talking about Purdue, you mentioned that they got back on this, um, you know, got back in, in looking the way we thought they were going to look in the preseason with a big 25-point win over Arizona. Subsequent to Arizona's performance um, at the battle for Atlantis last week where they went 0-3 and finished last, Sean Miller has said that he doesn't think his team is that talented. Is that is is that revisionist history? Like, like his team is, on paper, by all the way we measure such things, whether it's NBA draft picks or five-star recruits, um, it's one of the most talented teams in America. Why, why is Sean saying that he doesn't think his team's that talented? What is going on? In <laughs> what? I, uh, stress from all the other things outside of directly uh, direct basketball stuff. I have no idea. That team is ridiculously talented. If anything, they've looked like they should have should have looked all season since the disaster in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, although to be fair, I think they've only played once, but they murdered Long Beach State. <laughs> like they just they killed him. Um, but he, maybe he wants to keep him humble. Uh, who the hell knows? They who do they have this weekend? They've got a road game. I was just looking at this on Friday. I, it's a it's an interesting road game. Hold on, let me bring it up. They've got a UNLV. Okay, so they should win that game, but it is a roadie. So, I don't know. We'll see. If they lose that UNLV game, uh, we're going to talk about them on Sunday's podcast because they should defeat the Rebels. They are a better team. They are absolutely more talented than that team. <laughs> um, but, I mean, coach, coaches, just as a quick side note here, they will say some just 
really weird, bizarre things, things they know not to be true, things they'll say publicly as means of either motivating their team or humbling their team, or maybe they just like to play out the reverse jinx in public. Um, that's what's interesting about some of these coaches sometimes is when you get them one-on-one and you'll even have an on-background or off-the-record conversation, uh, they will say things in 180-degree contrast with other things they've said in the media. And sometimes it's like, oh, okay, so that's kind of how it is. But long ago, as you learned and I learned, um, in many different regards to the way that we cover our sport and certainly – Certainly, like the NFL GP and college football, like from a public standpoint, you're, you're getting BSed, flat out lied to, or strategically misled like 50% of the time. Like, and it's 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 kind it's either it's on us as media people to either be like, okay, if that's what you're gonna say, we're gonna stick these words to it, and you're gonna have to live with that, or it's on us to parse the, what those words and BS actually are, and kind of inform the listener, the viewer, the reader, uh, depending on it. But that's that thing from Miller is just a, it's a classic example of a, a coach just straight up lying and, and know that he's lying. We don't have talent. Get out of here. You're like the, you're a top three unequivocal, most talented team in college basketball. I mean, he's either using it as motivation, like a lesson from the perspective of, Hey guys, you're not nearly as talented as you thought you were coming out of high school. You're all McDonald's, all Americans, all five-star recruits. You're showing up on all the NBA draft boards, but I'm looking at you. Uh, you're not that talented where you can just coast through this stuff. You got to get serious focus, blah, blah, blah. It's either that, or he's like in total denial. <laughs> like the, like the, the only way you can get people to stop talking about what is Sean Miller doing with this immensely talented basketball team is to try to pretend you're not that talented. Um, uh, uh, to begin with, uh, but the truth is, you're exactly right. Uh, any way you measure these things, NBA draft prospects, five-star recruits coming out of high school, uh, Arizona is one of the the most talented teams in America. Even if its coach doesn't seem to think so for whatever reason, and I suspect they'll start looking that way at at some point. Um, they did kind of look that way in that blowout win over uh, Long Beach State. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. It doesn't matter whether you're going to a basketball game, football game, concert, anything, whether you're buying tickets for yourself or buying tickets for somebody else, like maybe as a Christmas gift. It is the holiday season, after all. You're going to want to use that SeatGeek app. You're going to want to use the promo code COLLEGEBB because when you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So make sure, whether you're buying college basketball tickets, NBA tickets, football tickets, concert tickets, doesn't matter. When you download that SeatGeek app, you make sure when you buy tickets, you use that promo code COLLEGEBB because that's going to get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And understand, those days of searching multiple ticket sites to make sure you're not getting ripped off, to make sure you're getting the best ticket available, to make sure you're getting the best value available, you don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I can actually remember doing that. Let me check this site. Let me check that site. Let me check this site. Let me check that site. Just to make sure I wasn't getting ripped off. Don't have to do that anymore. SeatGeek is going to search multiple ticket sites for you. Uh, That way, they're going to to uh, find the best value, find the best tickets. They're going to compare prices and find amazing deals for you. So you use SeatGeek, you're saving time, and you're also saving money. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone. You should too. Whenever I'm going to a football game, basketball game, concert, I use it. You should too. That's SeatGeek with the uh, with the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets. 
in one uh, place. Norlander, did you stay up Friday and watch Gonzaga handle Creighton come from behind victory inside the kennel? I was playing a guitar gig on Friday. Uh, so I, oh, I'm a musician. I don't have time for basketball on Friday night. I saw a little Stanford, Arizona on the TV from across the bar. but uh, So no Creighton Gonzaga I saw. I did expect Gonzaga to win, and that is indeed what happened. Did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, they were down at the half. Like They didn't play well, and boy, they came out in the second half and just like they erased that deficit pretty quickly, took a double-digit lead pretty quickly and controlled the final uh, 20 minutes. They look good, and I think we get to a point where we just expect Gonzaga to be good because, like, uh, they've been good our entire adult lives. Uh, you know, I think, what is it, like 19 straight NCAA tournaments? Like, Mark uh, Few has uh, established himself as, I-, I think, a guaranteed future Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. And so we just go, hey, Gonzaga's good, and we take it for granted. They lost four of their top five scores from last season, and they're still good. I mean, still really, really good. You know, that only loss is, what was it? You saw it, right? A double OT? Uh, yeah. Lost to Florida. Uh, and, and, and Yeah, and they've handled everything else. So this isn't like a Kentucky Duke where, yeah, they lose four of their top five guys, but they enroll, you know, two McDonald's All-Americans, three McDonald's All-Americans, five guys who are five-star players. You know, Gonzaga recruits at a high level, but not at that level. And for them never to really slip – and especially this season, go to a national championship game, lose multiple guys early to the NBA draft, and just not really miss a beat. I mean, it's just a, a testament to to Mark, his staff, and and the culture that they've de- developed there in Spokane. Because uh, you know, I know some people were picking against them in the preseason as it relates to the West Coast Conference, uh, but not anymore. I mean, they looked the part. They looked like Gonzaga. I was not one of those people. I picked Gonzaga to win the league. I do have respect. So did I. Yeah, exactly. Well, hold on. I think I did. No, no, no. I, I believe that you did, but here in our in our recent conference champion prediction that went up on Friday, you did. But am I safe to presume that because you had St. Mary's ranked higher in the preseason, if we had done the conference prediction in October, you would have picked St. Mary's? Did I have St. Mary's higher in the preseason? Yeah, by about two or three spots. It was oh, very. Oh, I apologize for that. Then, yeah, they, yeah, then I was wrong. I would have had St. Mary just based on that alone. I would have picked St. Mary's to win the WCC in the preseason. So, if that were a mistake, I uh, I apologize to everybody in the beautiful state of Washington. I I sold you short. I shouldn't have. Go Bulldogs forever. Well, okay. So here's the deal with Gonzaga. This team is is not only I think better than some people expected. It's got more talent than people expected. I spoke with some scouts and evaluators that were at PK-80, and there are four draft prospects on this roster, and that does not include their best player, in my opinion, Josh Perkins. Perkins is a tremendous college point guard, but Jonathan Williams, who is, yes, older, I'm starting to hear that he will have, if he continues to play as physically well as as he's playing, he's going to have a shot in that 45 to 60 range. Killian Tilly is a little too thin at this point, but he is really skilled, plays hard, um, probably will need to stay another year before he can decide if he wants to go or not. But uh, very, very skilled. Rui Hachimura, who is awful on defense, is built well, has good physicality, good offensive tendencies. He, uh, he is their prospect with uh, probably their highest ceiling at this point, I think, overall. Um, and he is... I in my opinion, going to play himself into a, a more prominent role by the time we get to the end of the season. He's just a liability defensively. And then there's a there's a freshman that a lot of people don't 
really know too much. Corey Kispert, he's he's well built, probably going to be like a three-year player, but he's also already on on draft radar. So my grander point is this: when you have four players that are being seriously evaluated as either for this draft, the draft after, the draft after, as in that top 50 range, yeah, you're going to be damn good. And that does not include Perkins, who is awesome. So I think we're headed toward a really another really, really good season for Gonzaga. Um, man, I just realized this. They have Villanova on Tuesday in the Jimmy V, so that's going to be an awesome game down there in the garden. But they look really good. And then, quick note before I toss it back over to you, GP. Little Birdie told me that this was like a fun little bonus game right on a Friday night, Gonzaga, Creighton. You don't really get those kind of games all that often. This is a home-and-home. Home. But I heard that Gonzaga, you know, has been interested in the possibility of trying to get into the Big East in recent years. Um, some of that momentum might be stalled. Frankly, I've also heard that Gonzaga doesn't have the votes needed to get into the league. And there are obvious challenges. I personally... I. Yeah, it would make the Big East even more fun and really cool. But, like, to have a team in Spokane, Washington, in a league called the Big East, I mean, it would be the ultimate farce when it comes to conference names and affiliations. But maybe we, we've long since passed that point when uh, the Big 12 has 10 teams and the Big 10 has, has 14 teams. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Gonzaga was advised, like, if you want to consider trying to get into the league, schedule home and homes with, with teams and then uh, use that as a, as a very, very, uh, you know, premature uh, trial balloon, so to speak. So that's why we had this game, um, and I'm sure Creighton wasn't all that enthused to go on the road and play this Gonzaga team, even what was probably when it was scheduled, thought to be a down year. That's not easy to win in that barn, obviously. Gonzaga will return the favor next season and play in Omaha. Well, well I, that would be interesting yep. uh, if that could ever get to that point. And, yeah, like we don't think of the Big East playing in the Pacific time zone, but like all of that has been changed uh, many, many years ago. I mean, like, Creighton is where? Omaha, which is where? According to Adam Duritz, somewhere in the middle, somewhere in middle America. So, like, that ain't really east. And so, once you continue to go further and further that direction, how much further is it to get to Spokane? Still, I know. it. I Listen, it's still out there. I, I, I get that, especially, like, if you're Gonzaga, you're flying charter. I, I totally understand. Like, there are... There are arguments you can make for having Gonzaga in the league um, and that would really boost the strength but then if you're the Gonzaga like do you want to do that like there are probably a lot of benefits but you have also turned yourself into a top 20 national program by being the bully on the block for two decades and been able to do that having tremendous success in your league and schedule out a league to the desire that you want to do so it has not hindered you being in this league ultimately obviously of course this would be about money and even upping brand recognition, which it could it could be boosted in the Big East. By the way, just I don't think this is going to happen, but this is this is what I was told is why this game was even played in the first place. I, I would say this that I've talked to somebody at Gonzaga about this. I don't want to put a name on it because we're probably off the record, but they made it clear. They, yeah, they they would like to do this, and the only reason not to, at least in their mind. Um, well, there were two. There's two obvious reasons, and, and you, we've touched on both of them. One is just the travel, like you know, it's a, you're suddenly flying to Providence, you know, to St. John's. But the explanation I got was, or maybe the rationalization I got was, okay, so we're on a plane in an extra ninety minutes. How big of a deal is that, really? You know, like we're we're flying uh, three and a half hours as opposed to two. You know, how, how big of a deal is it? And perhaps the numbers are a little more exaggerated than that. But either way, they talked about it like it's it's an extra 90 minutes, two hours on a plane. 
handful of times a year, not the biggest deal in the world. And then the other reason not to do it, at least the one you could trot out, I think, reasonably, is, you know, maybe leave well enough alone. Like, it, it is you, – you, clearly, you would rather be a Big East program than a West Coast Conference program independent of everything else, you know, in a vacuum. But you're not just a West Coast Conference program. You're Gonzaga. You have been able to rise above your league, both in accomplishments and in stature, in a way that you know, when Memphis under John Calipari was able to do in Conference USA, um, how Wichita State was able to do it in the Missouri Valley Conference. Like it's, It can be difficult to break away from your league and say, we're not just a WCC school. We're not just an NBC school. We're not just a CUSA school. We are Memphis. We are Wichita. We are Gonzaga. But Gonzaga has done it. They don't have problems scheduling the way West Coast Conference schools might. They don't have problems getting into um, big-time neutral court events. Playing in the Jimmy V is a you know, like the latest example of that. Um, they don't have problems getting on television. They don't have problems recruiting. And so the question, I would be less concerned if I were connected to the Gonzaga program. I'd be less concerned about the travel than with we have really established something that is working brilliantly. We can recruit two levels above everybody else in our league. We have resources two levels above everybody else in our league. Our league does not prevent us from getting on TV, from um, getting invited to big-time events, from scheduling home-and-homes. We've really got a perfect setup. We're basically guaranteed to be in the NCAA tournament every year. Do we really want to join a league where multiple programs are going to have comparable talent to us, if not better talent than us? Are we really going to risk, you know, taking, uh, you know, fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, seventh place finishes in a new league and missing the NCAA tournament? If we've already shown that we can win 30 games a year, get a high seed, we can go to a Final Four, we can get a neutral court of it. Why do we mess with it? I, I think that's a, that is something if I were at Gonzaga, I would want to talk through. Um, but my understanding is to the extent that these conversations have been had at Gonzaga, um, uh, most people there are on board. If we could get into the Big East, they'd like to get into the Big East. Yeah, well, I, yeah, we'll see if that uh, gets any sort of momentum going forward. I'm told they don't have the number of votes they need to get into the league. They also have to consider that it would not just be a basketball-only affiliation, everything from softball to volleyball, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are conversations that uh, really go pretty deep and serious at the uh, president and AD level because uh, it's one thing for – I mean, Gonzaga is Gonzaga basketball, but you have to fund all these other programs. And uh, you know, I'm very aware as we talk about this, Gonzaga is going to make a trip to the East Coast and play in New York, but you're also asking uh, teams to make those other trips later in the season – um, yeah, sure, it might be an, an extra 100 minutes on a plane here and there. I think that can have some compound effect overall. Um, there's actually been studies that have shown unequivocally that uh, road trips and long flights have greater effect on team performance throughout uh, professional sports. So uh, it would be interesting. I like them where they are. If anything, um, figure out a way to, to get them into the Pac-12 because they're, they're worthy of that, and that league, that league needs Gonzaga more than the Big East needs Gonzaga, in my opinion, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I will say this: I, I will definitely. It's 2017. If you told me in 2027 Gonzaga was in a different league, I'd absolutely believe you. If the program continues to have this, just it, it goes at this pace, man. Um, 
I think other leagues are going to have to seriously consider them. And the entire dynamic from a television slash digital uh, presentation to watching college sports in 2027. I mean, we're, we're moving by the year advancing how we watch our sports. I think that could also have big effects on, on realignment. But that's obviously a whole separate conversation that I'm sure in the, you know, down the road in the coming years, whether it's on this podcast or, or whatever format, I'm sure we'll have those conversations in that regard. Um, real quick, GP, in regard to the Pac-12, uh, Oregon lost at home to Boise State on Friday. That might have been an, a result that was a little bit off the radar. Um, you've got the stat about the last time they lost at home. It's been a, it's been a while. But this four, team is, they, I, they had a 46-game home winning streak snapped crazy. Friday night by Boise State. I think the last time they'd lost at home, maybe January 2014 to Arizona, something like that. It was a long time ago. Yeah, so that was longer than I thought. Uh, straight up, I didn't realize That's they'd gone. Yep, yeah, yeah, there we go. And uh, it's been a it's been a solid Oregon team here in recent seasons. But this is a average team this season. I saw them in Portland at the PK80. Had obviously a really good fan turnout. Did not matter. Uh, they got handled by a UConn team who then went on and got smacked in this next two games. So that's not a good loss. Uh, they lost. They beat DePaul, but they needed overtime. Then Trey Young put up 43 on them in, uh, in their final game at the PK-80, and now they lose at home. to a solid Boise State team. Actually, a Boise State team, I think, has got a pretty good chance at winning its league overall. But a bad look. Oregon's 5-3. Its wins have come against Coppin State, Prairie View A&M, Alabama State. Eh, not going to help you at all. Defeat a Ball State team that maybe is a top-three team in the MAC. Okay, I mean, it's a home game. Honestly, that's kind of a whatever win. And then you get to Paul in OT. Uh, that's rough. So, uh, was in the Final Four. Obviously, they lost all. They lost their studs. They're still trying to find themselves. You know, Peyton Pritchard was like the fifth best player on that team last season, and now he's right there with Elijah Brown and Mikhail McIntosh as like the best player. So they still got to figure a lot of stuff out. But couldn't help but notice them dropping that game on Friday night since we record this Saturday a.m. And Oregon could find itself with a lot of work that needs to be done in the Pac-12 because it's only other non-conference opportunity left of any sort of value in my opinion is they have a road game against fresno state fresno state qualifies as a top 90 ken palm team right now we'll see if you win that yes i think it will matter because it will be a road win and it will be their only one out of conference everything else they're not going to help their they need to win them and they don't even get that much of a boost by winning them they've got colorado state texas southern portland state central arkansas uh, left on the non-con schedule, that's going to just be empty calories on the resume. Yeah, uh, like Kentucky can afford to lose three underclassmen to the NBA draft. Duke can afford to lose three underclassmen to the NBA draft. Yeah, Arizona usually can because of the way those programs recruit. O- Oregon can't afford to do that. I mean, they lost Dylan Brooks early, Tyler Dorsey early, uh, Jordan Bell early. You're just not going to be able to overcome that. Uh, I know that some people still had them borderline top 25, Um you know, in the, in the preseason, but you know, this was always going to be a year between what I think is good years because they do have a nice recruiting class set to enroll. They should bring back most of this team, but when you lose three guys early to the NBA draft at a program, and I'm, I say this with all due respect, uh, at a program like Oregon, which it, I only mean like it's not Kentucky, it's not Duke, it's not Arizona. Um, it, it's just tough to, to, to keep going and not – and not fall back a little bit, particularly when, um, you know, you're in a league like the Pac-12 that's probably going to present challenge after challenge after challenge um, going forward. I, if, if Dana's able to get this team to the NCAA tournament, 
I think that'd be a, a, a really nice achievement. Because right now, would you project them to be there? I'm not sure that I would. Uh, you know, before the season, I did project them to be there. But when you have these losses now, I, you know what? I will say, I'll say Dayton. I'll say first four. They barely squeeze in. They get the win against Fresno State on the road. They do just enough in the league. Because I actually, I don't hate their talent. I think Elijah Brown and Mikhail McIntosh are really solid senior uh, fifth-year grad transfers. Pritchard's going to get better. Troy Brown still trying to figure it out. He's obviously really talented. Squeeze him in. One of the one of the final four teams, the first four teams to get to uh, to get to Dayton. And then Georgia Tech lost uh, Friday night as well Dude. at home to Grambling. Dude, what is going on? Can't lose to Grambling. Okay, so here's like we're talking about it on the podcast. Our, our colleague Kyle Boone's got a story up on .com if you want to get a little more reading on this. But this is where Georgia Tech lucks out that it's Georgia Tech because. For 50 or 60 or 70 other programs, uh, and maybe it's also because it's on a Friday night and we just got off the Big Ten ACC Challenge, just got finished with all these other cool tournaments, and then Saturday's got all these big matchups. But that is horrendous. Horrendous. I want to know if that's the... uh, I want to know if that's the biggest upset of the season so far according to what the line was. And according to what the probability would have been heading in, a 64-63 outcome, and Georgia Tech's not at full strength. That's that's just no excuse. Grambling State's a miserable team, miserable. A GP, I don't know if you, I don't even know if this game was on TV. Um, I don't know how you account for this. It is extremely damaging to the point where, like, Georgia Tech is going to have to pick up three really good wins to kind of cancel out this home loss. Grambling State is that bad. They're ranked 338th in Ken Palm. There will, if Georgia Tech is fortunate enough, and even though they didn't have their full roster, it's still they're still going to be docked big time because they had plenty of guys playing in that. If they're fortunate enough to get into the bubble conversation down the road, they're not going to be going up another against another team that has a loss this bad. They're 4-2 and two right now. The win over Northwestern, they're lucky they got it at the buzzer because they very well could be 4-3. and three. And they have some other opportunities coming up, but this one is brutal. This is, like, kill you on seed lines, kill you on the bubble. Uh, I really, I, I cannot overstate how bad this loss is. It, it is, it is just, it is terrible. And I got to know if, if, if there were guys on the team that were sick. There's just no, there's no, there's no excuse. You can't drop a home game to Grambling State. They're one of the worst teams in college basketball. They, um, I, I talked about talked about this uh, with Josh Pastner. I think it was last season. Just sort of the difference between being the coach at Memphis and being the coach at Georgia Tech. Like if you're the coach at Memphis and you lose a game like this, great point. Yes. Like you, like it is a, it, it's a killer. I mean, it is arm fire, no doubt about it. Well, yep. like like yesterday, Memphis got blown out on Facebook by UAB on Wednesday night. And like that is all or on Thursday night, rather. And that's all the conversation was in the city, like uh, on Friday. You've got Tennessee firing athletic director, hiring Phil Fulmer, still doesn't have a coach. Ole Miss getting its penalties, like things that are all relevant in this market. And still the big story was like, what in the world is going on with the Tiger basketball program? And at Georgia Tech, it just doesn't register like that. I remember talking to Josh last season. If you, if you recall the – the last game Coach K coached before he went and had surgery was against Georgia Tech at Cameron. They beat him by like 50, right? And I remember talking to Josh after that, and he said, like, it wasn't even in our paper the next day. 
like it, it, like it, it 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 wasn't on radio. It wasn't a topic on radio the next day. Whereas if you lose by fifty to somebody at Memphis, like th- that's all people are talking about the next day. And so this is a. Uh, a spot where you do benefit from being the coach at Georgia Tech, which isn't that big of a deal in Atlanta, uh, because uh, yeah, people notice that you lost to Grambling, but it's not a topic of conversation in every coffee shop and and, and breakfast place on Saturday morning uh, in Atlanta. Like they're you know Georgia's playing in the SEC championship today. That's all anybody cares about. Uh, but yes. yeah, yeah, but you lose you lose that game at another place. Woo boy. And uh, our buddy Jeff Barzello tweeted this last night. said Grambling had lost 63 consecutive games against Power 6 opponents by an average of 34.7 points per game. And they, went, and they, went, they went to Georgia Tech and, uh, and, and upset the Yellow Jackets on Friday night. So congrats to Grambling. Perhaps it's uh, reasonable to say that. Congrats to Grambling for getting a big win for your program, but... Uh, that is bad stuff for the uh, for the for the ACC, um, but we'll, we'll uh, you know Josh was the uh, ACC coach of the year last season. Uh, he's got some work to do before he, he gets back there again uh, this season. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, and remember you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that; it makes a difference. We appreciate it, and we will be back on Sunday night. Uh, to recap the weekend of uh, college basketball and look ahead to to Monday and Tuesday. We'll be back Sunday night. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. Uh, Till then, take care.